0: Well, we're going to be looking once more this morning at the law of God, and let me put this down here right now so I don't forget that later. Um, We have put up on the screen, if if you want to go ahead and take your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning, Um, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at the first four verses there. But before we do that, we just want to come back again to Exodus chapter 20. We've been reciting this together because uh, we are uh, doing a study through the the law of God, the Ten Commandments, and we've been several weeks just really introducing this idea uh, of uh, how we need to look at the law of God. So let's read this together. This is Exodus 20. Now, I think up here, yes. Uh, so the parts that we read together will be in, in bright red. Can you all see that very well? So I'll read it, and then when we come to the red parts, uh, we'll read them together, together. So it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is with, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is, uh, that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder... You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. All right. And so we have there the law of God, the Ten Commandments, and the question for us as we get into uh, thinking about this this morning is, and, and what we've been looking at the last several weeks, is really how, how should we approach that? How, how should we think about that? Let me read our text this morning, and then we'll talk a little more about this. This is Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We've started each time, and I'm going to review this morning again, with, with two errors... Concerning the law of God and hopefully this is getting worked into your mind two errors Concerning how we should view the law of God and then two principles based upon that So the error number one This is the wrong way that some people sometimes think about the law and, and this is lawlessness we, we had that fancy word antinomianism, but we could just call it lawlessness and, and this assumes that because salvation is by grace through Jesus Christ that we as Christians have little or no obligation to obey those commands that we just read. Lawlessness. I don't have to worry about the, God, the the Ten Commandments. I've believed in Jesus Christ, so I'm good, right? Well, that's the error of lawlessness, and we need to avoid that. What we need to understand, and here's the first principle: the law is God's good, universal, unchanging standard of righteousness. So we don't chuck the law out the window just because we're trusting in Christ for salvation. Here's error number two. It is the error of legalism. That is people who are thinking that keeping God's commands plays some role in my salvation. It's the ground of salvation. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm right with God. God is pleased with me because I keep His law, because I do good. And we know that that is incorrect. We saw last week that the law condemns us over the last few weeks. And uh, the, the law condemns us because it exposes our inability to keep the law. And so we can never be made right with God based upon keeping the law. And so that leads to principle number two. The law must come to us through the hands of Christ. It must come to us through the hands of Christ. Otherwise, it will condemn us. And we said last week that the reason the law must come from the hands of Christ uh, is because we have a twofold problem. Number one, our first problem is that we're guilty when we evaluate our life based on the law of God. we, We don't actually come away saying, oh, good, I've checked all the boxes, therefore I can go to heaven. That's that will never happen when we evaluate our lives. We put our lives on one side We put the law of God on the other side and we say let's just see how this measures up What will inevitably happen is that we will be condemned because we're guilty of breaking God's law And and that's what the law does. In fact, we saw that the law was given for that purpose to expose our sinfulness And so the law has a ministry of condemnation. Paul says in Romans 3, 19, that the law was given so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. And he says as well in verse 20 of chapter 3 that by the works of the law, listen to this, no human being will be justified in his sight. You'll never be saved by the works of the law. Why not? Because he says since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. When I look to the law, it exposes and gives me a knowledge of my sinfulness. So I'm never going to be justified based on keeping the law. That's our first problem. Jesus remedies that problem because Galatians 3.13 says he became a curse for us. And so he takes our punishment. He takes our condemnation. And then he gives us his righteousness as a gift. In Romans 3.21, we see that the righteousness of God is given through faith for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so all of that can be summed up in in 2 Corinthians 5.21 who says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. There we get that idea of double imputation. He gets our sin. He became sin for us so that we could get his righteousness that we would become the righteousness of God. And so we need to receive the, ha- the, the law in the hands of Christ so that we will not be condemned by it. But secondly, we, we cannot keep the law. Our, our second problem is that we're unable to keep the law. The law condemns us because it exposes our total inability The problem is not only the penalty of sin, the problem is the power of sin. We're guilty, we're condemned, but we're also helplessly enslaved to our sin nature. And that's the second problem that we have. What we're going to see this morning is that Jesus answers every dimension of that problem. He doesn't only take care of our legal problem that we're condemned and guilty, but he also delivers us from the power of sin as well. Christ not only removes our condemnation, but he also brings liberation. The solution is not simply legal, a declaration outside of us in justification, but it is also empowering. It is the Holy Spirit of life that is given within us to enable us to obey God. So this morning we're going to see two things. One, Christ removes our condemnation. And secondly, Christ brings us liberation. He removes our condemnation and he brings us liberation. And so we're going to look at just these four verses, and we'll talk about a few others as well, but we're going to focus on these first four verses of Romans chapter 8. And we see right away in verse number one, this idea of this condemnation being removed. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What we see in this verse is that union with Jesus Christ, our union with him is the conditional means of receiving this blessing. It's the conditional means of God removing the condemnation from us now let me define when i use that word union with christ when you're reading the new testament especially the apostle paul you will find him over and over and over again saying in christ in christ in christ that is a, a technical term and you may best be tempted to read over that and not really put a lot of stock or think a lot about those little words in Christ, but they have huge significance. In fact, uh, as we're going to see, they they have a, a primary significance in the way that we think about the gospel. To be in Christ, and we talked about this last week a bit, but to be in Christ means to be united to him in such a way that what is his becomes ours. What is his becomes ours. It, it's more than just a legal position. Um, it's actually a living personal relation uh, relationship. It's a relational union. The Bible says in, in John 14, in several places, Jesus speaks of, I'm in you and you are in me. You could see that. We won't go there, but John 14, 19 to 20. I, I In that day, he says, you will know that I am in you and that you are in me. Now, that's not just a legal declaration. Uh, It it certainly includes that, but but he's talking about a living relationship in which we will be in him and he will be in us. This vital relationship affords us immense, unspeakable, and eternal privileges. I, I, I think we all understand how our relationship to someone else can bring about some good circumstances for us, right? I remember here a couple years back when you could still go to baseball games. Uh, I, of course, I grew up, I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan and they're terribly terrible most of the time, but I still enjoy going to a baseball game. My whole life I, I bought cheap seats and we sat up and then you'd, you'd wait a few innings and you'd spy out a good spot and you'd make your way down uh, and get the good seats later on. Uh, but, but that was sort of my experience. And, and then one day, Uh, I had a friend who who had a a job at some corporation there in Cincinnati, and, uh, of course, they get tickets all the time. Well, they had this, this, like, luxury box, and they had all this food. You go to a game, you know, it's like $5 for an Oscar Mayer hot dog that's not that good. Well, you go into this place, and, I mean, first of all, there's tables, there's nice chairs to sit in. I mean, it's just a totally different experience. They had... La Rosa's pizza if you don't know Cincinnati you don't know all this stuff but they had La Rosa's pizza they had Montgomery and barbecue they had pretzels they had all kinds of desserts that you could eat and it was all free it was just like a buffet I'd never been to a game like that before but I didn't get in there because of me my friend worked at this place and their their corporation had uh, rented out or purchased this luxury box and and I was invited in because of my relationship to this person See, I I got incredible benefits that day uh, because of that relationship. We could think of another example. Uh, Some of you are in a union, a labor union, and and we all understand how, how that works, right? There's collective bargaining. Your representative secures for you. Certain benefits, right? Certain wage scales, certain certain regulations, and so forth about what what the employer can re- require and what they cannot require of you, and 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 all of those things. But but you don't really earn those things. That this union representative, he goes in and he 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 goes to work and negotiating. Uh, we got Mike; he's done that a few times uh, and, and negotiates. And because you're part of this. Uh, collective bargaining agreement you get all of these benefits it's it's through your relationship and so that is how it is when we're placed in Christ in a sense everything that he earned everything uh, that that he earned through his perfect life and through his death on the cross becomes ours because we're in him because we have this living relationship with him it's a, it's an amazing reality and so when you look to the new testament uh it, it we see things like this we share in his life right his righteousness becomes our righteousness he obeyed the law perfectly and that gets counted to us because we're in relationship with him so when god views us and and the way that god treats us is as if we had always perfectly obeyed the law. We get his righteousness because we're in Christ. We share in his death. This means that his sacrificial death becomes effective for us. We share in his suffer- suffering. We are persecuted for his name we share in his resurrection because he was raised we have new spiritual life right now imparted to us we have resurrection life through the spirit and one day we will be resurrected because we are in Christ and so we'll share in his resurrection we share in his exaltation and we share in His glorification. Because He was glorified, we will be glorified. And because He is reigning over all things, the New Testament teaches that we will reign with Him forever and ever. Everything that He earned, everything that He achieved, everything that He merited in His life has been imparted to those who by faith are in Him through this relationship. This is no unimportant doctrine then John Murray says this union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. It is not simply a phase of the application of redemption. It underlines every aspect of redemption. Everything that we have comes to us through our union, through this living vital relationship in Jesus Christ. In fact, when we look at verse number 8, or verse number 1 in chapter 8, let me ask you this question. Who is it that is not condemned look at it. if you got your Bible, I encourage you to leave it open this morning We're gonna be in chapter 7 and 8 quite a bit. Who is it that who is not condemned? There is therefore now no condemnation for who for those who are in? Christ Jesus those who are in Christ Jesus being in Christ is the requisite condition for not being condemned. This is how the the condemnation that you have earned or that you have achieved by you disobeying all of God's commands is removed because you've been taken out of your sinful condition and you've been put in Christ. And so His righteousness is counted to you. But secondly, not only does this come through union in Christ it is union with christ is is uh the the pre what, prerequisite condition but the substitutionary death of christ is the act that effectuates or brings about this blessing and we see this in verse number three so we're skipping from verse one to uh three he says for god has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh i've been speaking about the saving benefits of christ the things that he earned or achieved and that are given to us who are united to him but verse 3 tells us how this took how this transpired how, how did that occur we we know that we the, you know being in christ is how we receive it but, but how did Jesus achieve it? Well, verse 3 tells us this is how Jesus achieved this removal of our condemnation. And, and we see it very clearly. First of all, it's an act of God. Look again at verse number 3. God has done this. It's an act. It's a work of God himself. So that's the who. We could ask, what, what did God do? Well, he did what the law weakened by the flesh could not do and the question is what what was it that the law weakened by the flesh could not do well? He saved us from condemnation we, We've we seen this and this is the argument that Paul's been making through Romans that, that we can't keep the law that we're condemned We can't be made right with God We can't be justified with God based on our good works based on keeping the, the law And so God has done what the law could not do what what an astounding statement isn't that 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 God did what his law could not do well why did he do this well he had to do it because the law was weakened by our flesh you see the problem is look again at verse number three god has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do Uh, it isn't ultimately then specifically a problem with the law of god is it it's a problem with you and me with, with our flesh it's the law weakened by our sinful flesh and how did he do this well, He sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. What an amazing thing to, to think about. That just You just hear the, the personal nature of that. He sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. When it says in the likeness of Sinful flesh it doesn't mean that he only appeared to have flesh as if he didn't really have flesh No, he, he came in full humanity as we saw on Christmas around that time when we did that series on Christ He had a, a true body. He had true flesh true humanity But when it says that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, he, he's he's Demonstrating that Jesus was not sinful in himself. He came with a true flesh with true humanity, but not with sinful flesh Because our Savior was sinless. But then he tells us what he he did. He he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. that word for sin is actually a a word in in the um, Old Testament that's used to describe the sin offerings. The the sin offerings, uh, this same uh, phraseology is used there to, to describe them. And so Jesus came in flesh to be a sin offering for us, to die in our place. And then we see this, and this is such an important phrase, he condemned sin in the flesh. Let's just think about that. Let's just take that apart. Who is he? Well, the, the subject here who's been acting is God. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So when it says that He condemned sin in the flesh, who is it? It's God who condemned sin in the flesh. But let's ask another question. Whose sin did He condemn? Well, it's got to be our sin because we know that Jesus had no sin. So God condemned our sin in the flesh and then we've got to ask the question, right? Whose flesh is that? Well, it's not our flesh, is it? It's the flesh of Jesus Christ. It's the humanity of Jesus Christ. He's the one who bore our sin. And so here we have a, just a clear depiction of this substitutionary atonement. God condemned your sin and my sin in the flesh of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what's happening is he's dying to take the condemnation of God for your sin and For my sin. So this is how Christ achieved the removal of condemnation through his substitutionary death. And union with Christ then is how that achievement becomes ours right? He did the work. He achieved it. He lived a life of perfect righteousness. And then he laid down his life, absorbing the wrath of God for our sin. And all of that gets counted to you when through faith in Jesus Christ, you become united to him. His righteousness becomes your righteousness and and your sin becomes his sin. And he died for it. What a wonderful reality. And then this is why there is no condemnation. There can never be any condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. It's As I said last week, in order for God to now condemn you, uh, he would have to condemn his son because you are in Christ. Christ removes our condemnation. But secondly, this morning we see that Christ brings liberation. Christ brings liberation. In order for us to understand this, we need to see these two laws Uh, That that are spoken about in in these verses and now we're going to be looking and focusing on verses 2 and verse 4 We looked at verse 1 and 3 now 2 and 4 Christ brings liberation and you notice there's there's Laws the the word law is used multiple times here in verse 2 And it's interesting to notice that he's using it and he has different meanings with the same word and sometimes that happens right But he's been talking about the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the moral law. But notice in verse 2, he says, for the law of the spirit of life, what is is that? The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. And so we're going to take those in opposite order. The law of sin and death. Well, this is speaking about our enslavement to sin we're in need of salvation not only because we're legally guilty and we're condemned but because we're helplessly entrapped in sin do you feel that this morning do you do do you know and and have you had the experience uh, of being in sin and not wanting to do that not 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 uh sort of wishing that you could free yourself from that but but then finding yourself in sin again and again well that's that's what happens with us because we're condemned. We have a sin nature and, and we're helplessly entrapped in our sin. And that's what verse number two is referring to when it speaks to the law of sin and death. We really need to go back to uh, Romans chapter seven to understand that. And when we do that, what we're going to see is that he's not referring to the law of God when he talks about the law of sin and death, but to a principle that is at work in us. And here's that principle. This is what the law of sin and death is. The the law of sin and death is a principle that we now have a sin nature that is so bent and so inclined to sin that we are totally unable to obey God's law. That's the law of sin and death. You have a sin nature, apart from Jesus Christ, before salvation, it, by nature, right? At birth, you have a sin nature that is so bent or inclined towards sin that you are unable to obey God's law. now you That's pretty bold to say you're completely unable to obey God's law, but this is exactly what Paul has been teaching in Romans chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, go, go back there. It uh, should just be one page back. And let's start at verse number 13. I'm just going to read through verse 25 and just point out a few things so that we can understand what is this law of sin and death that we've been set free from. So verse number 13, did that which is good then bring death to me? Talking about the Old Testament law, the moral law. He says, by no means, it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. There's that ministry of condemnation. My sin is being exposed, and and it's being revealed, and and the wickedness of my heart is just being exposed as I see the law of God, and, and, and when I see the law of God, it actually just brings out more and more sinfulness in my heart. And then verse number 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh. I have a sin nature, he says there. I'm of the flesh sold under sin. That word, that, that phrase, sold under sin, is, is the idea of someone who's been enslaved. They're, they're in slavery. And that's what Paul is saying about himself. And all of us, apart from Christ, or in our flesh. We are of the flesh, we have a sin nature, and we are enslaved, we are sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, he says, for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing that I hate now if I do what I do not want I agree with the law that it is good so now it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells within me there's that terminology that phrase there's sin dwelling in me verse number 18 for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh this sin nature when he says flesh That's what he's talking about. Of course, it it has to do with our physical body, but it's more than that. It's a theological term. It's talking about our corrupted sin nature. And he's saying that that in my flesh there there dwelleth no good thing. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Do you say you said earlier? We don't, we're unable to obey the law of God. Isn't that what Paul just said? He said, I have a desire to do it, but not the ability to carry it out. We're totally unable. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. There again, there's this inner corrupted sin nature that is producing sin. Verse number 21 kind of summarizes all of this then. And he says, so I find it to be what? I find it to be a law. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. There's the law of sin and death that he's talking about in Romans chapter eight. It's the law of sin and death. I find this to be a law, a principle, a principle, an authority in my life. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, here's a, uh, here it is again, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? From this body of death I am totally unable I look at the law of God and God says this is what you should do this is how you should live your life but sin within me keeps me and makes me unable to do and and obey God's law this enslavement To sin, And it can be described as nothing other than enslavement to sin, right? To say, I want to do what is right, but I find that every time I go to do what is right, I'm unable finally to do it because of sin in my flesh. This enslavement is why God had to rescue us. In verse 3, when it says that God had to do what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, that's why God had to do it because it was weakened by our corrupted, sinful flesh, which makes us unable to obey God's law. And this is what Paul says again, and later in Romans chapter 8, if you have your Bibles there, Romans 8, 7 and 8, he says, For the mind that is set on the flesh, that flesh is that corrupted sin nature, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to the law of God. Indeed, It cannot. Total inability. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're here this morning, apart from Jesus Christ, that's where you are. You are in the flesh. You have a corrupted sin nature. You are totally unable to keep God's law. You cannot please God. You have not the ability to do it. And so in reality, the inability is in us and not in God the law as we move into this series then on the ten commandments we, we've got to be aware of this right i i don't want us to to enter into this thinking okay for for those who have never come to Christ for salvation, who have never had the condemnation of the law removed, who have never been made able to obey God's law, I don't want you to come into this and just say, all right, we're going to keep the Ten Commandments. Great. I, I really want to study these so I can do this better. No, no. It will bring condemnation apart from Christ because you are unable to do it. Apart from Christ, you cannot please God, that's what, that's what it, the Word says, right? That's, that's what those verses said, Romans 8, 7, and 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The last thing in the world that I want to do in this series is to encourage you, encourage you even more strongly to try to keep the commandments apart from some transforming work of Christ. That's why I've said over and over again, we have to receive the law in the hands of Jesus Christ. He removes the condemnation and he sets us free. And that's the second thing that we see in these verses. We saw earlier our, our uh, enslavement, but now we see here our emancipation from sin. Look again at verse number two. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So there's that law of sin and death. But now those who are in Christ Jesus have been set free from the law of sin and death. And and what is it that has set us free from that law of sin and death? What is it that has delivered us from the enslavement that we are in? Well, there's this other law. There's this other principle. And he calls it here the law of the Spirit of life. What is that? Well he's clearly talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in us, imparting new spiritual life and the indwelling believer. We won't go there, but you could read verses nine and 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 verse eleven where it talks about the Spirit of God dwelling within you. The, the New Testament is very clear about that. When we believe in Jesus Christ, God's Spirit imparts new spiritual life. He gives us new desires. A new nature is placed within us. We have that old sin nature, our flesh, but a new nature is given to us. And the Spirit now empowers us to obey God. Doug Moo says about this spirit, uh, the law of the Spirit of life it is God's Spirit coming to the believer with power and authority who brings liberation from the powers of the old age and from the condemnation that is the lot of all who are imprisoned by these powers. So just as the law of sin and death is a controlling principle in in our flesh, in your life, so so the Holy Spirit indwells the believer And the Holy Spirit introduces a new principle, a new power, a new authority, and and an even greater power into our lives. The Holy Spirit comes to believers and brings new spiritual life, thus enabling us now to obey God's law. And this is what we see in verse number four. That's exactly what, what he says here. Verse number four. It's, it says in verse number three, speaking about God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is talking about a transforming work of God that takes place within us. Notice a couple things that this is not about our justification. This is not that. This is is a transforming work of God within us because notice it says that the law of God might be fulfilled in us. Not for us because we're in Christ, but within us. It might be fulfilled in us. And then you see the word also who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now we are enabled then to obey God. It's in us and, and it's the way that we walk when we're walking in the spirit ff F. bruce says this the law prescribed a life of holiness but it was powerless to produce such a life because of the inadequacy of the human material on which it had to work but the lo- but what the law was powerless to do has been done by god Now that God's own Son sent to earth in the likeness of sinful flesh has given up His life for the sin of the world, the death sentence has been pronounced on sin. Sin found no foothold in the life of Jesus. It was effectively overcome in His death. And the fruits of that victory are now made good to all who are in Him. All that the law required by way of conformity to the will of God is now realized in the lives of those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit and released from their servitude to the old order. God's commands. Listen to this. God's commands have become God's enablings. What the old, what the, what the law commanded but didn't give you power to do now through the work of Christ and through the Holy Spirit given to you, what was commanded to you now has been enabled in you. You are enabled to obey God. You are enabled to obey His law through the power of the Holy Spirit. He set you free from that slavery that you were in before where you'd say, this is what I ought to do. I know this is what God requires of me. I know this is what I want to do. But then you find yourself right back in the same life of sin because you were enslaved. You have been set free from that. There's a new principle. There is a new power at work within you. You have been enabled to truly obey God's law. Not perfectly. We don't perfectly obey God's law, but we have been able to truly obey God's law. We see this. This is exactly what the prophets spoke about and what they prophesied would, would come in the New Covenant age. In Ezekiel 36, the prophet speaks of this. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and be careful to obey My rules. Do you see what the prophet Ezekiel is prophesying in the New Covenant? There's going to be this transformative work for all of God's people. They're all going to be regenerated. They're all going to be made new. God's Spirit will be imparted to every one of uh, of His people and they will all be able to walk in His ways. Not, Not... from, from a standard outside that we're trying to and uh, attempting to obey, but never able to obey, but from within, He's going to transform us and give us an enablement to obey His law. And we live now in that age of the Spirit. Before, we were not able not to sin. Now, we're able not to sin before we were not able to please god not able to submit to the law of god remember what it said those who are in the flesh cannot please god the mind in the flesh cannot submit to the law of god but now that the spirit has come he has liberated us from the bondage and enabled us to obey this is why paul can say in second corinthians three seventeen. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you have the spirit of God this morning, you have been set free, not set free to live however you want, not set free to live a life of lawlessness and a life of sin, but you've been set free from the dominating power of sin in your life. And you have been enabled to obey God and to live for him. And it's a wonderful reality. What happens to our flesh then? Don't we still have that flesh? What what is said in in chapter 7 regarding our flesh? In one sense, will always be the case with our flesh. Even as a believer, you don't get rid of your flesh, right? What he said in Romans chapter 7, that in my flesh dwells no good thing. That flesh is still in you right now. It, It is, even as a believer when you're sl- when you're saved your flesh does not disappear yet when the lord saves you the flesh is no longer the only or the controlling power in your life before you were saved that's all that there was you had one nature it was a sin nature and you were unable to please god you did not submit your mind to the law of god now that you're a believer there's a spirit of god the spirit of god within you there's a new nature and, and an overpowering nature that is conforming you to the likeness of Christ. This is why Augustine says about this passage that grace was given that the law might be fulfilled. Grace was given that the law might be fulfilled. Until you're glorified in heaven, you will have a sin nature, and that sin nature will always resist and be hostile to the law of God, but when you are converted, the Spirit of God comes within you and brings new life and empowerment to obey so this is our condition now as believers if you're a believer here this morning you still have a sinful flesh and if you walk according to the flesh you're going to find that same inability to obey God's commands but you also have the spirit of God within you enabling you to obey and and we have then a great responsibility as Paul says in Romans eight twelve. so then brothers we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's a warfare going on within the believer. You have a sinful flesh, a sin nature, but you have the Spirit of God and the calling upon our lives and the ability that we have been given as new covenant believers is by the power of the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. You still have those impulses, don't you? There's, there's no one here that would say, yeah, all my sinful impulses are gone. Now, I, I always just want to perfectly obey the law of God. None of us here would say that. But, but now you have the Spirit of God that enables you when, when those sinful impulses are coming to submit to and to yield to the Spirit and you are empowered then to put to death those deeds of the flesh. Right? The Spirit of God creates within us o- obedience that's what Paul talks about in, in Galatians 5, 16 through 18 when he talks about walking by the Spirit. He says, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, there, there it is. There, there's the two ways of living. But, but for us as believers, we need to walk by the Spirit and as you're walking by the Spirit, you will no longer uh, gratify the desires of the flesh. You'll overcome them. You will obey he says for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do but if you're led by the spirit you are not under the law you are empowered to obey God and to overcome your sinful flesh So we must this morning receive the law in the hands of the Christ uh, in the hands of Christ because there and only there will the condemnation of the law be removed for us and there and only there through Jesus Christ and through his spirit will we be enabled to actually obey the law of God so FF Bruce and I think he's quoting this from someone else I've heard it before but I don't know where where it was originally but this is what he says to run and work the law commands yet gives me neither feet nor hands but better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. That's what the gospel does. It enables us to obey God. And that's why you need the law through the hands of Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for... We thank you, Lord, that in him... Your condemnation for our sin has been removed. We, we thank you, Lord, this morning that you did what the law weakened by our sinful flesh could not do. In the flesh of your son, you condemned sin in the flesh so that we could be made right with you, so that we could have his righteousness. God, we thank you as well that you've brought us liberation this morning, that you have freed us from the, the dominating power of sin Lord, we know that, that we still find ourselves entrapped in sin from time to time, but that's as we're walking in the flesh. We thank you that you've given us the spirit that sets us free uh, from, from that uh, helpless state that we were in before. God, help us to walk in your spirit. Even this week, as we go out this week, we we pray that you uh, would guide us through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would lead us to to go to battle, to go to war against our flesh, and by your Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. I pray for us as a church that, that you would lead us in this way, Lord, that we would be sanctified, that we would grow and mature in putting to death the deeds of our flesh. We pray that you would continue that transforming work within us, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.